Lord, we're grateful for um, certainly most of all the time of worship that we get um, during the main service, but uh, we're also grateful for the Sunday school time where we get to um, look into your word and, and maybe be a little more academic about it, and we pray that you would deepen our knowledge and our understanding so that it would bear godly spiritual fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, Nick's continued the um, theme that we're doing. Uh, we went through, I think it was 25 weeks, if I remember correctly, of Old Testament, going through all the themes of the Old Testament uh, books as far as the Hebrew canon. Um, in the New Testament, in the Greek, there's no difference from what we have now, so there's not like a different order or anything. And he may have mentioned it. This is probably, this is the kind of the primary text that we're pulling a lot of the information from right here. It's called a biblical theological introduction to the New Testament, the gospel realized, and it's got a lot of different contributors for the different books of the Bible edited by Michael Kruger. So that's, that's uh, a little bit of an FYI. And then um, I'm I understand that um, in my absence last week, um, Nick discussed uh, Matthew, so we're moving on to Mark today, which is my pleasure. When we talked about this, I immediately said, well, I need to grab Mark because I finished preaching Mark not too, not too long ago, and I wanted to be able to talk about it a little bit, and I'm hopeful, I don't know, I know I'm adding a little bit of pressure here, but when we, when we get to the other side of the board, I'm I'm hopeful that there's something that uh, you guys remember about the, uh, the layout of the book of Mark. But first thing is genre. It's important, it's always important to consider the genre that you are reading, and we know that instinctively. Right. When you read a book, even if you haven't um, read the first word and nobody's even told you the genre, you can start to read a book and you will immediately pick up on certain things because of the way that it's worded um, and things that are said. If it's, I don't know, you know, if it starts talk, if it comes out talking about dragons and stuff, it automatically frames for you, oh, wait a minute, okay, this isn't going to be historical narrative. You know, you, you automatically start to do that and it helps you think more correctly about what you're reading. So when we come to Mark, the genre, and I know this seems really but it actually becomes a really important factor when you go to study the book. Um, but it's a biography. And the reason, the reason that that's important is that we want to keep everything that we're reading in the context of who the biography is about. In other words, it's not just a historical account. This isn't just a, uh, you know, once upon a time that starts at X date and then just carries forward the entirety of the book, of all the Gospels, of the book, well, the entirety of the Bible, but in particular, the Gospels is, of course, Jesus at the center of all of that. And so it helps us to remember that. And so we're going to go through one quick exercise to make that point. By the way, I'm grateful for my picture that somebody donated while I was away. I have no idea who did it or what it is, but here's our little friend. Um, Chidera, that's you. Uh, can you please read Mark 4, verses 35 to 41? Amen. 
On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them, with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace. Okay, so here's an account that you're likely somewhat familiar with where um, Jesus calms the storm. And so when you are studying this, whether you're gonna preach it or teach it or not, when you're looking at it and you're studying this particular passage, there are any number of things that you could focus on and that are even helpful to think about as you're focusing on it. So, for instance, you could look at the disciples' lack of faith or their fear, right? They were filled with fear um, in the middle of this, and Jesus is sleeping, and so there, there's a lack of fear there. You could look at the individual elements of what's going on um, and, and make comment on that, as, as particularly as it relates to the culture or something. You could definitely make a theological connection to the chaos of the waters because there's actually a lot of biblical content that where there's imagery that that shows that that um, that water frequently in the Bible kind of represents chaos or, or death um, and you know you can look at Jonah and things like that so you can focus on each of those things and they are helpful but the question always ask is When you look at the, at, at the episode, what does it say about Jesus? And I, I hear Paul over here giving the answer. What, did, am I right or am I wrong? Okay, all right. I was giving you credit. I was giving you credit. Oh, yeah, this thing, I don't know. Yeah, I've tried that too. So, what do, you know, let's keep it simple. What does it say about Jesus? Anyone? Ah, there. Thank you. It's not. It's not going to work. I can tell you. So, what does it say about Jesus? It says that he's divine. He has power over the wind and the sea, and as a result of that, he is divine. So. At a very basic level, when you're studying Mark, you know it's a biography, thank you. You know it's a biography, and so you always need to end with and make central the question of what does this uh, episode have to say about Jesus. Okay, second, and this is where things start to get kind of fun, maybe things that you may or may not have known. The author, obviously, is Mark, but his full name or, or fuller name is John Mark. So we're going to look at some scriptures. Now, Bill, I put your name up here to read these. You're taking all of those because they're a series that are kind of close to each other. So what is that? One, two, three, four, four different verses. So John Mark, he's not, he is Jewish, but he's not an apostle. So we have someone that has authored a gospel that is not one of the apostles. And that's John Mark. So... Bill, where were you? There you go. There you are, hiding behind Robert. Start with Go Acts ahead. 12, 12. Yes. 
When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Moving on to 25. Yes, so we have John, who's also known as, as uh, Mark. Go ahead. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now 13. Okay. So keep in mind now, this is Paul and Barnabas who are hooked at the hip, you know, going on their missionary journeys, and they have brought with them this guy, John Mark. All right, go ahead to verse 13. 13, 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Okay, so they've got John assisting them. All seems to be going well. I'm going to add, go ahead and, and turn to chapter 15 of Acts. No, but that's oh, do I? Let's, let's read the other one then too first. It says 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Phoebus and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left, with, left them and returned to Jerusalem. All right, so this is that um, John Mark, we don't know entirely. I, no, you're still going to read a little more. Sorry, I'm, I'm giving you a little bit more. You're going to go to chapter 15, verses 36 to 40. So John Mark is the guy that actually wanted to go home. He's assisting them. He's going with Paul and Barnabas on their journeys, and he turns back, and it ends up becoming a point of dispute then between Paul and Barnabas. So go ahead and read Acts 15, 36 to 40. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought the best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Philippia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the, commended by the brothers to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicily, Sicily, strengthening the churches. Okay. So Paul and Barnabas are working together on these missionary journeys. Mark turns back. That becomes such an issue that later when Barnabas says, hey, let's go ahead and take Mark, this guy John Mark, with us again, Paul Paul's digs in and says, no, I'm not taking that guy with us again. And there is a sharp disagreement to the point that it splits Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas says, well, I'm, I am going to take Mark. And Paul says, oh, yeah, well, I'm taking Silas with me. And so they go on and, and on their respective journeys. Now, it does kind of beg a question, and this is just interesting background information. This is the fun stuff we get to talk about in Sunday school. Why or what is it? We get to see in Scripture a contributing factor why Barnabas was probably a little more uh, gracious or, or was more interested in uh, giving... Uh, Mark, John Mark, another shot. And we see that in Colossians 4.10. Aristar Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
Okay. So, it's family. <laughs> Barnabas and John Mark are family. So, uh, in some way there. And, um, so, it, it is interesting to, uh, to kind of understand some of these facts and what's going into play. And, by the way, it, it is always encouraging. So, here's uh, just, just a little lesson in here as well. To know that somebody can be doing something as important as assisting the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on the very first missionary journeys to spread the news of the gospel to the world and to f turn back, to have a significant failure that is going to be documented into perpetuity. It's in scripture that you, that you wanted to go home, that you turned tail, and yet he is the guy that authors a gospel one of, the, one of the four Gospels. So it shows that God can make tremendous use of people that at times are cowardly. Praise God <laughs> that, that, that he uses cowards to, for, for his purposes and for his kingdom. So those are some interesting things about the author, John Mark. And clearly, and you know, we know as well that God uses all of these circumstances to his glory and in whatever way that the split itself actually benefited the church and expanded the kingdom, of course, then praise God that that is exactly how everything uh, played out. So another thing to note about the fact uh, of John uh, or of Mark is, as I mentioned, he's not an apostle, but what he is is a fancy word, amenuensis. Uh, he he is the author, a, a a kind of ghostwriter, if you will, in a sense. For Peter. So this is, in a way, Peter's gospel, but Peter is not the one that authored it, which brings an excellent question, because Peter does author books later, right? In first, first Peter, second Peter. So he does author. It's not like he is incapable of authoring, but it kind of begs the question, why would somebody else author the gospel if it is almost exclusively the testimony of the Apostle Peter. And that's why I want to transition for a minute to talk about this gospel order business. So traditionally, if you don't know this, and by the way, this is, um, this is something that uh, I believe to be true, and I'm not, but I want to put a little bit of fine print that, you know, I can't say with absolute certainty and, um, and if you disagree, you, I don't, you know, that's absolutely fine. But this is fascinating, uh, and I, I, I think it's helpful to think about these factors. So, as far as what order were the Gospels authored? Was Matthew first? Was Mark first? Was Luke first? Which one was actually authored first? Now, this discussion does not impact the content itself of what's in Scripture. It's there. It's all Scripture. It's infallible. It's inerrant. We don't have to worry about any of that. But when the question comes up, um, as some of the scholars like to do, and the academicians, they like to say, well, yeah, but which one was authored first? And historically, um, within the church, the if you're going to go who gets the most votes, you're going to find that Mark is kind of traditionally given the, the first, um, you know, thought to be the, the one that wrote first, and then after he wrote the Gospel of Mark, that Matthew and Luke 
came after that using Mark as a supporting source. Sorry, let me pause there as well because there's a term that gets thrown around a lot and I want to make sure we're clear on that. So, and that is uh, the, the phrase, the synoptic gospels. And so, has everyone heard this term, the synoptic gospels? So when we say that, what, let me help, uh, help you understand here, what, uh, can, the, the word synopsis, the word synopsis, it just means like summary, right? Hey, give me a synopsis. So if you were to take a synopsis of what these three books um, uh, contain, there are lots of similarities. Not so with John. John does lots of stuff that is separate from these. So that's why when they say, well, if you were to boil it down and give a synopsis, you're going to find that these three share same characteristics, same episodes um, that are taking place. So they call these the synoptic gospels. So the question, sorry for the, for the jump back and forth there. So the question then is, among the synoptic gospels, which one was authored first? And so kind of historically people have said, well, probably Mark was authored first, and then Matthew you know, would have had access to what Mark wrote, and then he would have done his thing, and Luke would have done his thing. And uh, in uh, one of my classes, um, the professor that I had was just adamant that Matthew had been authored first. And um, honestly, I wasn't particularly convinced by stuff he was saying and different points he was making. I thought, okay, um, I had always heard about Mark. But one of the books that was the required reading, and I believe that Nick uh, mentioned this last week, but I'm going to look at it a little closer, is this book right here called uh, why Four Gospels, The Historical Origins of the Gospels by David Allen Black, second edition. And um, I made a photocopy for you of just two pages, which are the, <laughs> so I'm cheating for you, uh, which are the conclusion of the book. So, before we look at this, I'll explain uh, basically what he is proposing um, took place. So the, let, let me again back up and say the reason that people, and I think for good reason, think that, think that Mark was authored first is it comes from a, what's called a redaction argument. So this is what they do. They take the contents of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they line them up and they say, hey, this is what's contained within each of the gospels. And then they look at all this uh, real technical stuff and go, well, if, if Luke wrote, you know, such and such about this parable, but compare it against Mark, it would only make sense that if you're going to say that about the same episode, that that would need to come second. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're kind of going through this, um, um, this analysis that goes, well, it, you know, who redacted whom? Who, who most likely copied from the other person? So it's a good question. It's a way that I think we naturally would go about things. They've gone, a lot of these scholars have gone about these things where you just go, well, let's just stick to the internal evidence and, and try to make, but it isn't clean. It doesn't come out. You end up going, well, when you compare all of these things against each other, most of them lean towards, logically lean towards Mark being first, but you still have to do kind of some, um, uh, some stretching and some creative accounting to go to, to, to 
to reconcile why some of the episodes are worded the way they are. It's kind of, it's clunky, all right? It's very clunky. And what is interesting and what Black um, offers here in this is that he says that historically, this is the way things played out, is that Matthew was authored first and was the primary gospel and it was written to the Jews because, you know, the Jewish, the Jews are the history of the Christians. And so he writes this um, treatise, this, this gospel that is addressed directly to the Jews. And he is basically showing, look, throughout Matthew, look at how it ties to the Old Testament. All these things that are in the Old Testament are speaking to this person that I'm telling you about and recording in this biography in Matthew. And so he lays that out. What happens after that, then, is that Paul gets sent out as an apostle to the Gentiles, and he, through Mark, essentially author a um, gospel that is specifically suited to the Gentiles. Because for them, all of this stuff relating to the Jewish history is not, that doesn't hit the same for them. They have, they need a different gospel, or it would be more helpful for them to have a gospel that is suited to the Gentiles. So, what happens then is that the Gentile, the gospel that is authored for the Gentiles needs some form of being, of credibility because you're talking about Gentiles, and it's like, why should we accept another gospel that has been written to the Gentiles and that, and that is specific to them and leaves out some of the Jewish history uh, connections that Matthew has? And the contention is that Paul asks Peter to give his stamp of approval on the gospel to the Gentiles. He needs a legit guy. He needs a name. He needs somebody with apostolic authority from the original group of apostles to say that this gospel, meaning Luke, to the Gentiles is a legitimate gospel. As a result, Peter then goes to a Roman council and gives an oral testimony he reports out to this council. And in doing so, he is both pulling from Matthew, which you would have known very well. He was also pulling from Luke, which Paul has asked him to provide his stamp of approval, his credentials, vouch for this gospel to the Gentiles. And he is zigzagging between the two in an effort to give credibility to the, this book of Luke. In doing so, Mark is there and is authoring the testimony of Peter. So, what ends up happening, so this is like fascinating here, is that you have then Luke, as far as if you're in order, for sure, then if this is all true, Matthew is for sure authored first and is sent out to the Jewish world. Just, and this all kind of lines up with the way the church works too. It all starts, even though it gets rejected soundly within Jerusalem, 
It all starts, the in Acts, we all start in Jerusalem, and then it ends up expanding out to the world. So in a sense, with the Gospels as well, you have the uh, Gospel of Matthew being authored about the Jewish people to the Jewish people. Then the next one to be authored is Luke, but it's actually not published yet. It doesn't get spread widely because it needs some verification because there are all these doubters. So what you have then is Peter giving his testimony before these Roman council over the course of probably days, where Mark is actually now authoring, and now with, with even though Mark is maybe physically written third of the three, it's actually published before Luke, which then lends credibility to the Gospel of Luke, and then they go out and each serve their individual purposes. Now, um, that when you look at it that way and then you go back, if you have that perspective of what's going on and you go back to lining up and doing the, the scholarly stuff of all the internal connections and go, okay, let's look at where they all three report the same parables or the same location and where they don't and who says what, it actually creates a much clearer picture as to why Mark says what Mark says and why it connects to Matthew in one spot and then it also connects to Luke but in other places it only connects to Matthew or it only connects to Luke because Peter who was an eyewitness was standing there and he both was the witness himself that, that is testifying that it ends up creating the gospel of Mark and he is also familiar with what it is that Matthew had authored to the Jews themselves. Um, so I pretty much, uh, that's, that's the idea. Let me check time before I get carried away. Okay, so that's what is contained on that paper. So let me just, I'll just point it out here. So that's why um, this is called a, the fourfold gospel hypothesis. So that's what it's saying is that in stage one, and I'm going down to the one, two, three, fourth bullet point, the Apostle Matthew has chosen to set down a single commercial length scroll the Apostles witness to the life, death, and resurrection of, of Christ, and then the Gospel of Matthew is published. So it's like the official Gospel that just goes out first. And then next, you have Luke being authored. Paul prompts Luke to provide a fuller elucidation of Jesus' ministry, so he produces, third bullet point there, the Gentile edition of the Gospel of Matthew. Now you get to stage three, where Paul asks Peter to check and authorize Luke's gospel. Hey, will you please look at this? And then Peter ends up giving a series of lectures, and these lectures are recorded by John Mark. And then on the other side of the paper there, Luke's text is published in 62 as the authoritative Gentile edition. And then after the death of Peter, the gospel according to Mark is published. So I, I uh, misspoke there regarding the published part, but. So then lastly, Mark would have come out because he was writing down. And then John, he just, he fills in the gaps and writes about a lot of stuff that is not even contained within the Synoptic Gospels. Now, like I said, if you have very strong feelings about this, it doesn't affect the content of the Gospels. The Gospels are the Gospels and they have what they have. But it is helpful though, again, going back to just this, just like this idea of the biography, it helps you to get your mind right before you even read. And so when you go to it, you can, um, you can have a better sense of those things. And in fact, let me find my, my note here. 
Um, hold on here. So, uh, da, 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 da. page 41, paragraph one. There we go. All right, let me make, read this one paragraph about the zigzag thing. So I'm reading a, actually Black is quoting somebody else here. So briefly, this is quote, briefly you can see with your own eyes, Mark having the volumes of Matthew and Luke at hand, continually consulting each, extracting from each, whatever he thought would most benefit his readers. Now, laying aside Matthew, now Luke for a little, but always returning to the very same place of either one where he had begun to diverge uh, from him. So, um, I, I think, I trust that you understand those concepts. There was a couple of things here, I don't see, that I was going to mention, but... <laughs> so, it uh, seems consistent with why then Peter would not have actually authored it, because he was testifying before this... Uh, Roman, these Roman officials, and um, logistically then as well, you figure Mark could have authored the entirety of the book within a matter of days if he's keeping up with Peter, because he's just sitting there listening to a guy testify. He's not following Peter around and writing down his stories. He's actually just like, hey, he's trying to testify, and he's uh, writing that down. So, fascinating stuff. I thought it was helpful. I wanted to share with you as well. All right, as it relates specifically um, with the design of the book of Mark, there are, I'll make one other comment actually on the gospel order stuff. So there are two places where we, it is possible that Mark put his own words in the book. The first that is unquestioned really is the very first verse, Mark 1.1. 1, 1. Um, the very first verse, so before he essentially starts writing down what Peter's saying, Mark 1.1, 1, 1, where he writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So those are going to be Mark's words, and then boom, if, if that theory is correct, you basically you have, this is, uh, in a sense, Peter's opening statement as it is written in the Isaiah the prophet. I mean, wow. See what I'm saying about context? And you go, all right, well, if this is accurate, that is just tremendous picturing Peter standing there before these folks saying, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And so, and, and this idea of sewing and seaming together the Matthew gospel and the Luke gospel. The other, and this part, this, this theory is, uh, I'm not sure quite, uh, I don't think it's, as rock solid as the fact that Mark authored the very first, but what is possible, and we did discuss this before when we got to the ending of Mark, is there's that question about is it the shorter ending or the longer ending um, in Mark, uh, in the final chapter in Mark chapter 16, starting at verse nine after that, there is significant evidence. Uh, I don't think there's even really any question that because it's so different in those final verses that whoever wrote it is not the same person it would seem as the remainder of the Gospel of Mark. And so one of the th thinking is that Mark is writing everything that Peter is saying and testifying to, and then Mark himself adds those remain the remaining commentary in the final. So that's something to consider um, that's in there. I, we actually did a Sunday school class just on the ending of Mark. 
Okay, the, uh, the overarching themes of the book of Mark, and this, I just love how the Bible and its symmetry and, and, and everything goes. So there are two, you can see that in chapters one through eight, there's this main focus of Jesus as Christ. In other words, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the one that has come for God's people. And in those first eight chapters, you see a focus that is uh, in Jesus's life on the people and on the crowds. And in chapter eight, it culminates in Peter's confession in which he says, you are the Christ, right? So you have this focus on the people that, that, that grows to the, to you are the Christ. And then in chapters nine through 16, it focuses on Jesus's deity, on the fact that he is the son of God and he spends a lot more time, uh, the book spends a lot more time uh, revealing that Jesus is teaching his apostles. And then it culminates ultimately while Jesus is on the cross and we have the confession by the centurion. And you'll remember what he said when he was standing there watching Jesus hanging on the cross. Truly this man was the son of God. So again, we see this symmetry, this flow that's taking place, first eight chapters, second eight chapters, the culmination, and it's the apostle. <laughs> it's focused on the people and, and uh, culminates in the apostles' confession, then it focuses on the apostles, then focuses on a Gentile's confession, truly this man was the son of God. So um, amazing, beautiful, uh, complex, yet orderly, um, something only God can do. All right, so here is my question to those of you, because I, do you remember the book of Mark is laid out in three acts or three phases, and all three of them are geographically connected. It has something to do with place. Does it? All right, see, Carol's already making me feel good. All right, so, oh, wow. Pushed hard. The first one is Galilee. So, a phrase that you will hear sometimes people say is Jesus' Galilean ministry. So, if you look at a map, there is, you know, Judea and Jerusalem here, and north of it is Galilee. And that's where, in the first part of the book, all this stuff where Pete, Jesus is with the crowds and healing and casting out demons and doing all that stuff, it's while he is going out and about in Galilee. So you'll hear people say during his Galilean ministry. Okay, who can tell me what the second, the second phase was? So after he's completed his Galilean ministry, does anyone remember what he does? Glenda. There we go. On the way. That, those were the key words, and the on the way is to Jerusalem. So this is a great way. If you can get these categories in your head, just overarching. He, Jesus begins his ministry. It takes place. All this stuff happens in Galilee, and everything changes, and he is on his way to Jerusalem, of course. And then what would the third geographic location? Thank you. There you go. Good job, Jamie. Jerusalem. Do that. Jerusalem. 
So this should help you, if you can remember these, just real general categories, will help you know the layout um, specific to the Gospel of Mark. So this means you have all of this day-to-day -day ministry stuff taking place, then you have all of these things that are taking place during the actual journey. Jesus heads north from Galilee first. He goes up to Mount Hermon on this rock. I'll build my church, you know, all that. And then he turns south and passes back down past Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. And, of course, we know at Jerusalem you've got the Passion Week and all everything that's laid out and all the events riding on a colt coming in, cleansing the temple, and then everything that happens during the course of the Passion Week, all of that's happening geographically in Jerusalem. And the big thing, one more little bonus question, because you're making me feel good, is um, do you remember this whole on the way stuff? What Jesus, what, what was happening, what the real big focus of what was going on during those travels? Discipline and teaching of his disciples. There we go, good job. Uh, <laughs> It, it, he was teaching his disciples. So here, the disciples, during his Galilean ministry, the disciples are watching it all happen. Then, once it turns into the journey, now you get all of the accounts like where, hey, who's the greatest one? Hey, Jesus, so who's the greatest? And it's like, oh, you guys. So he's dealing with all of these things specific to his apostles. So you have extensive... Um, episodes or, or numerous anyway where Jesus has direct contact with the apostles where he's training them up training them up training them up because this is coming he knows and it's during this whole on the way to Jerusalem stuff that he's like hey just so you know I've got to die yeah okay whatever you know second time hey just so you know I no really I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna be raised three days later yeah okay hey third time hey no seriously I'm gonna die in three days and then Peter reprimands him, you know. That's all happening here and then enter Jerusalem. So hopefully these phases kind of get into your mind and then those phases are, are hitting these themes as it, as it flows. Thoughts, questions? Left five minutes. Okay, other, uh, other things, since you're gonna give the five minutes back to me, I'll use them. Um, yes? There's not nearly as much in. Yeah, you're on, you're hot. In Mark as there is in the other gospels about um, after the resurrection. Correct. So that's the end. That's the big. That's the big debate on the ending of Mark. Is that where it would appear where Peter's testimony ends uh, at verse eight of chapter sixteen? That and it does not explicitly include his resurrection. That he and again now you go well if he is testifying to the Roman government and if kind of what he has in view is to give credence to the this Gentile addition they would have all known it would have been, there wouldn't have been any real question because he is not, in a sense, he is not speaking because he is authoring a gospel, even though he is. John Mark is writing it all down. And so, in one sense you go, well, why wouldn't you include the resurrection? You have to include 
the resurrection? Is it even really a gospel if you don't include the resurrection? Well, if you're testifying and you get to the point where everybody you're talking to already knows about all this, then perhaps that does not hold the same weight as somebody who says, no, I'm going to sit down and write, write a gospel. Um, and, and so, but to your point, perhaps if it's true that Mark felt that that was so important that then he adds the final commentary and the final verses to say, and by the way, he was resurrected, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So that's entirely possible. By the way, the other thing, I'll let you ask your question. I, I wanted to mention, I saw this here. You know, the word immediately is used 41 times in the Gospel of Mark. That's one of the things unique to it. And again, when you think about the context, you go, okay, well, maybe that's just Peter. You know, he kind of does seem like a, 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 an impulsive guy. But um, maybe that's just the way that he is in speaking about it. But I don't know. My brain just says, well, if you are trying to give a persuasive um, a, you know, testimony to the credibility of something else. It's like you want, you're telling the story and it's just like, and then immediately this, and then immediately that happened. And so anyway, go ahead. Oh, just, just from my uh, career as a scientist, one of the uh, um, ways you establish a relationship between two things that occur is by proximity. Mm. And uh, so that, that underscores that the two things that he's trying to talk about are related and not coincidences. Over here. I might have missed it. So um, Matthew was written to the Jews. Luke was written to the Gentiles. Correct. And what, what is the intended audience of Mark? So Mark would have just been Peter's account that gives uh, credence, of course, to the Gentile edition and then has its own flavor of everything it, that it communicates, plus the benefit of having yet another witness to everything else that happened. So. It isn't quite so clear-cut, I don't think, as Matthew, definitely written for the Jews, Luke, definitely written for the Gentiles, and then we have Peter, who brings lots of other detail, because even though it's the shortest one, he actually has details contained in his gospel about colors and, and like expressive and descriptive language that the other gospels don't even, don't even have, which again makes you think, man, he was really uh, Gary's great... Well, since Peter is the author of most of the Mark book, is the, is the Mark sandwiches actually the Peter sandwiches? Yes. Yes. Yes, they are. So, yeah, we call them uh, another characteristic of Mark are the Markin sandwiches. Thank you. See, once again, I'm proud. So proud. Um, so, so it, within the book, what you will frequently see, the, te the technique of the storytelling is it begins uh, an account, top piece of the bread, it moves to the meat, it changes and talks about something maybe slightly different and then goes back again to the original. And from that, you can know that it's the thing in the center that is giving greater light to both the first and the last. And, it happened over and over and over again throughout the book of Mark, and it's absolutely fascinating uh, pattern. Bill? So it almost seems like the reason we have four Gospels is certain, certain Gospels will hit somebody and convince them to come to Jesus. A different Gospel might be necessary for somebody else. 
Yes. It's almost like we've got different audiences, and the reason for the over replication is that it's a matter of which audience is going to eventually respond to that gospel. Yeah. While simultaneously being self-authenticating, you know, it's, it's, I, w I was just going to circle back and say, uh, to your point at the beginning, you were talking about how Mark uh, is a biography on Jesus, but knowing that all of scripture is a biography yes. on Jesus, yes. uh, it would make sense as well that we have the most content on the life and ministry and the gospel, the good news itself. Um, and so, and then ultimately, obviously it's the Holy Spirit doing the convicting not necessarily the eloquence of words or any of that. It could be right. the most rudimentary. Um, but then I was also going to say it's kind of interesting. I know that when we go back and look, um, I guess it'd be archaeologically, even though it, it wasn't quite that long ago, that there's far more, there were far more um, books of Matthew in production and owned. Ah, right. Uh, far more than Mark. And um, I, I think the most common thing you hear is, well, because if you can only afford one book of the Bible, you want to get the big one, the one that has right. more right. content. But I think actually it also speaks a bit to what you're talking about in terms of the order, which is first mover advantage. If Matthew's the first one to come out, um, it makes sense that people are just getting their hands on the book of Matthew. And then later, Mark, when you get it, you're like, oh, they, there's a sequel. And um, it turns out there's some overlap and obviously right. financial constraints. But. Right. And, and I guess what it does, too, is, oh, I'm pointing at the wrong side of the board. Uh, what it does as well with the gospel order is, is you don't, you know, these ideas of who's copying whom, um, as far as this redaction stuff, it gets away from that, and it just says nobody, yes, they would have had it and would have drawn from it, but they're not saying, well, I should come out with one, and I should come out with one. Well, I probably ought to have mine, too. Um, instead, it was like, no, I have a purpose. This, this is the commercial length to the Jews, then you have Luke, you know, Paul saying in, in um, um, calling Luke to, to, to author his to the Gentiles, and then they need Peter, and you go, this makes, this makes sense, it's natural, and now they have each of these different accounts that still serve all the purposes that we've come to love and appreciate and the content that is perfect. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the time. Thank you for these insights, and uh, Lord... Anything that's true, may you apply it to our hearts so that we might not forget. And anything that is incorrect, may it just fly off our heads never to be remembered again. In Jesus' name, amen.